and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And this week we're discussing Occulta by Maya Montaigne, the second book in a Forgery of Magic series. We discussed the first book all the way back in episode 51. We're in episode 65 now. 41. So go check 41. <laughs> what? 41. You said 51. Oh, yeah. Episode 41. We Yeah, 41. Long, long ago. <laughs> so go check that out if you're interested in discussing the first book, Nocturna, before diving into this episode. So in Occulta, we're back in San Cristobal with Finn and Alfie trying to figure out the murderous plot at the center of a peace summit. And yes, of course, chaos ensues, as it does. I wondered if you were going to use your tagline, our tagline. (laughs) Chaos ensues. Obviously. (laughs) Initial reactions. Jesse, start us off. I remember enjoying Nocturna, but I really loved Occulta. I don't know if it was the pining between Finn and Alfie, the raised stakes of the peace summit, or that cliffhanger at the end, but I was so caught up in this story. I was already listening at three times the speed, and I wanted to go faster because I needed to know what was going to happen at the end. The third book doesn't have a title or release date, but I wish we had it yesterday, so keeping an eye out for that. Stab me (laughs) in the heart. Oh, my God. What about you? What did you think? So much yes to everything you said. You just, you picked the high points for me. The slow burn, the pining, the like geopolitical drama and the high stakes of everything and the cliffhanger and the plot twist that I didn't see coming. I was just like, yes, for all of this. Although I should have known that the white woman was trash the whole time. That's on me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. Wish I could have had the next book yesterday. I'm really excited about the next one. I can't wait. Recommend if you like. Jesse's coming through with the only recommendation. I don't know. (laughs) We could maybe brainstorm a little bit together, but. Yeah, I said Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo. Both books are kind of heisty with lots of twists and turns. I couldn't really think of anything else. I don't know why. This one is just, it's so expansive. You know, maybe... If you like those big secondary worlds with high stakes multinational like conflicts, kind of like the Poppy War, but that was like adults and this is, I think, probably on the cusp, right? Yeah. And like maybe Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi because there's like geopolitical things going on there. Oh, yeah, that's true. But also a little more violent and like Children of Blood and Bone is a little more violent. And like this book, while I would say it's YA, it's like the violence isn't as visceral as in some of the other books we've read that are YA even. So I guess Six of Crows had that like one scene in the bar. I think that was that book, the murder scene. Or was that this book? I don't remember. No, that was this book. That was this book, the murder scene in the bar. Okay. Well then. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 not this book. That was Nocturna, the first book. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like this series. All right. Well, either way. Maybe Poppy War is a good one, although not much pining or no, unfortunately, <laughs> romance. In that book. Exactly. So that's why I'm like, I couldn't really think of a good real like. No, but yeah, Six of Crows. That one's fun. Plus, I love that series and TV show. Why did we choose this book, Jesse? 
we both enjoyed the first book and wanted to continue with the series. I don't even remember why we picked the first book. So um, I think partially, I will admit, is because the cover is gorgeous. I love the That's mosaic true. and everything. I, I love the how they describe Finn as the character. I just thought that she was so intriguing and it's a thief, you know, so I'm in. Oh, maybe if you like Tamara Pierce's Trickster series, you would like this book. I don't know if. Tamara Pierce is like more old school fantasy YA but (laughs) showing your age I know right oh my god (laughs) time to talk world building in through the wardrobe so we're back in San Cristobal but now there are murders happening when they're on the precipice of a peace summit with their former colonizers slash slavers in gloss a lot going on there (laughs) Yes. The peace summits. It's a big deal. <laughs> just goes with the pregnant pause that you just had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's so much, like, as I was saying, like, geopolitically going on. I was sucked right back into it. I didn't have a problem remembering what went on, even though we read that book probably back in 2019, maybe. Maybe 2020. I don't. Yeah, it's 2022 right now. So probably 2020. (laughs) Maybe 2020. We have a list, but and with dates on it, but we won't consult it now on principle. (laughs) (laughs) And then we get the whole other dimension of the thief lord. So we get like, I think more of a a more expansive class portion of Mm -hmm. the world building. You know, we're seeing the delegados and we're seeing the which is like the merchant bourgeois class. And then we're seeing the underbelly the seedy underbelly of the world. And then we're also get all the royal drama, not to mention international royal drama. It was a wild ride. I really love that part of the book, just like seeing all the different groups and like how they interacted or didn't interact or avoided each other. I really loved it. Ugh, so good. There is also a lot of Spanish used within the dialogue. And I don't remember that being the case for the first book, but I thought this was really cool. I don't think it was so much that people unfamiliar with Spanish would have any trouble. Um, You can kind of understand what's going on by the context clues. Most of it was Spanish that I understood even with like a basic understanding of Spanish. I did, however, see a review that complained about it online. But if you can get on board with made up words and fantasy novels, but not a real world language, you might want to check your biases. Just putting that out there. There it is. (laughs) There it is. That's the takeaway. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just like racism and like Anglo, like superiority coming into play. Also, they said that there was Italian in the book, and I don't remember that being the case. No, you don't even know what fucking language it is. So just like shut up. (laughs) They said Spanish and Italian, and I was like, I'm pretty sure it was just Spanish because I have a basic understanding of both. (laughs) And I don't remember any Italian. Maybe they're seeing the similarities because they're both romance languages, you know? And so Mm -hmm. there are some similarities in cognates and you just pronounce the words differently. But maybe you would have had to actually take some different language classes to know that. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was a little frustrating. (laughs) I just can't even. I can't. I know. I'm trying to think of a good one, like something that we have, like, that has come into, like, common language. But I can only think of words from a very transphobic author. So we're not going to pick those but like star wars we all know what the force is and like sith lords and all that made up stuff or lord of the rings exactly mordor orcs like fucking dungeons and dragons i play dungeons and dragons like there's so much you know like made up stuff like language is made up it's all made up (laughs) that's how it came to exist we made it 
that's what's so cool about it and it's always constantly changing yeah so like it with the program people anyways i thought it was cool that there was a lot of spanish in there more people should do this if that's what they are comfortable with i mean also it should probably be like a language you know really well because you don't want to put it in there like badly (laughs) right exactly i also think it goes to like when you're raised in this like oppressively monolingual society you just get it's it gets to like this other layer of white comfort you know you're used to like literally yeah. everything being for you understanding 100 percent of what's going on never feeling alienated never feeling like unsafe you know and so there's a lot of that going on and there's this book provides like a lot of fodder for discussing that because there was like a discussion about like you know the in glass and guards pro- patrolling the city like back when they were like fucking enslaving mm-hmm. everyone who was living there it was all to make the princess tomato head feel safe and it's like well who gets <laughs> at who gets to feel safe you know who has that right to safety and it's like yeah usually the people who have experienced the least violence <laughs> themselves do you know what yes. i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when especially when you take it into like the context of our in the united states where we live like it's i think spanish is like the second most used language in the United States and it's a language that's becoming more and more spoken in the United States as you know people move here people use it in their families and at home and those people learn it in school so it's one of those languages that like especially if you like work in customer service or you're working with people outside of your home it could be a good language to learn anyways so there's no national language in the United States I don't know if people know that (laughs) but there isn't so you know just Get on board. It's not that hard. (laughs) Expand your horizons, folks. Let's discuss all things magic. In this book, we find out that Finn can control people with her magic, which is called Propio. Maybe that's why they thought it was Italian, because I think in Italian that means like my own or their own. That's what it means in Spanish, too. Yeah. So some of the words are just the same. (laughs) So maybe that's why they thought it. But anyways, Finn is worried that it's connected to her dad, whose name I don't remember, but he was a piece of shit. Do you remember? Ignacio. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember what his name was. He's like haunting her this whole time. But yeah. So Finn is really concerned about like what her magic means. And I feel like it's this like whole nature versus nurture thing going on. And it's not her like biological dad. I don't think it's like her adopted dad anyway. So she's like very on the nurture side, obviously. Yeah. It's her adoptive dad who was definitely her abuser for her whole life. Yeah. And maybe this has something to do with like thinking about how like cycles of abuse happen and like people who some people who are abused also do those same actions towards people that they love and people in their lives. So kind of seeing Finn like break away from this, this cycle, you know? She's like, there's generational trauma and it stops with me. Yes. Maybe she'll go to therapy. (laughs) I don't think they have therapy there, doesn't seem. But yeah, I think a lot of them should be in therapy. (laughs) That's like one of our takeaways from all of these episodes. (laughs) All of our favorite characters need therapy. Because we love them so much. And we're like, I just want the best for you. Live your best life. Since Inglas has coming to San Cristobal, which I think that... That place has like a larger country name that I can't remember now. Castellan. That's it. Thank you, Kelly. I got you. <laughs> Kelly's I got you. All the <laughs> um, so Inglas has like a magical class system. The upper class have access to magic and then the lower class are slaves and they're 
magic is used on them to keep them from using magic and it's just so fucking bad like and so they bad. don't understand yeah we get like the kind of the like moral conscience of the voice or of the like novel coming through Alfie's voice you know being like you treat your people like they're property and that's why your economy is based on all of this terrible stuff <laughs> yes and they're like but we can't get rid of our slaves because of the economy and i'm like bro <laughs> <laughs> no, that's exactly why you should goodbye <laughs> yeah burn it down break the wheel yeah and they just are not having it i don't know what's gonna happen now because like alfie's brother's back and so like ingloss's whole plan didn't work to like take over or whatever so who knows what's gonna happen in the next book but whew, it was a it was a wild ride <laughs> yeah and it's just like so much of this you can use your power for good or for evil sort of discussion you know mm-hmm. Inglass is ex- also experimenting with magic speaking of using your power for evil and this is like kind of parallels with like technology as far as like development and stuff as far as I see it so Marsden is that this guy's name think so i just kept thinking of james marston the actor and i'm Me like too, no I that's think. not i was like not cyclops <laughs> from <laughs> from x-men nope that's not it but he's just like oh my god the worst he's like king joffrey he really is he's like a child dictator <laughs> <laughs> it's so true it's so true he's like boasting about this experimentation that they're doing on james this like cute little servant boy that luca totally had a crush on so poor poor guy poor guy poor luca i know and like james has multiple propios he's the one who could like go through walls and stuff but it's like having a physical toll on him and yeah like he's definitely gonna die (laughs) because they say that like bodies aren't meant to channel that much magic or be in contact with that much power and this is all like in the context of James and his family are being punished because they wouldn't transport enslaved children. So we're seeing like how Inglass and Royals use magic, like their power, literal power, literal power (laughs) for really like stoking fear. And that is a very effective control mechanism. Yeah. I just, I love how much magic there is in the book in general, just like so much. There's magical texting. (laughs) I love whenever I see magical texting. (laughs) it's so cute it's so cute (laughs) there because it's like talk about pregnant pauses you know and like subtext and unsaid stuff you know it's so great the palace diviner who's pretty weird and kind of came out of nowhere then there's magical tattoos the weird flesh room that was disgusting that was just gross (laughs) (laughs) and luca's super strength like there's so much going on never a dull moment I love Luca's super, super strength. All I could think of him was like as Professor Hulk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was just so cute. Oh, he's cute. <laughs> now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. So I just wrote one line and Kelly just wrote like a whole paragraph going off of this. Because I, I just said like the colonizers, obviously... <laughs> so take it away kelly (laughs) um as a colonizer myself i feel like i understand the i'm just kidding (laughs) inner workings but not really settler that's me the like fucking plot to re-enslave castellan i didn't see that coming even though i really should have because like colonizers gonna colonize you know unless they like look at the deep void of like 
despair and nothingness that's inside of them and they figure out what that's about like they're just going to keep going and perpetuate these cycles and just like the how much time and energy they're willing to put into like the machinations behind the scene to create the sort of political climate that is necessary to tip everything over into war because war is even though it's like a war that Inglas wouldn't win it's just like war is just it's a fucking waste of money fucking Biden signing a 770 billion (laughs) dollar defense bill like but there's no child tax credit anymore like are you fucking serious I know I really did not see this coming in the book either and I think it's because I thought that like that girl whatever her name is I don't remember Vesper Vesper all I can remember is (laughs) Lucas saying she was like mayonnaise (laughs) that really got me good like I thought she was like really trying to do the right thing and like Marsden was gonna be in a dick and I thought like the marriage thing I need I like figured the marriage thing wouldn't really work out because like Finn and Alfie are like OTP yeah exactly but I was just like what like really vesper like what are you doing like you're making this worse for everybody and i hope you die in the next book that is my hope for her and marston <laughs> i hope that whole royal and glasson family is dead <laughs> uh, yeah because they're just like terrible and alfie's convo with tomato head when she proposes to him she's like she's talking about how marston and company etc uh her are intoxicated by nostalgia for a time when we were a world power. Our coffers made fat off the gold from the colonies we owned. This is location 4832 in the ebook, since we are being precise today. <laughs> and Alfie is like, you mean the fucking people you owned? Like, you piece of colonizer trash. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Because it's all like the idea of being enslaved is so hypothetical like and not having Mm -hmm. your agency in that way is like hypothetical to these sorts of to these people it kind of like had me thinking a little bit so like recently a lot of books have been being banned books about queer people books about black people books about jewish people (laughs) it's just like wild to me that people some of the reasons um the book mouse i forget what the author's last name is i think it's like his name is art spiegelman Thank you. A school district in Tennessee recently banned this book because like the depictions were too much depicting the Holocaust. The book is a graphic novel. The people are cats and mice. So the Nazis are cats and the Jewish people are mice in the story. One of the reasons for the banning was just the amount of violence that happened. And I think sometimes people forget, especially people who are not in any way marginalized, forget like the amount of violence that has happened to people. And so they think like we don't need to teach people about the amount of violence that happened to to different groups of people. And so they think if we don't teach them this, it won't happen again. But what we really see is that people forget that it happens. People deny things like the Holocaust happened or that slavery was that bad or, you know, that queer people are marginalized. And so it makes it easier for people to say, you know, those aren't things we need to worry about. So this kind of made me think about this within Gloss. So like they have no proximity to marginalization and therefore it's not a real thing to them. They don't really think about how what they're doing affects anyone. Anyways, don't ban books. It's silly and it doesn't work. So um, yeah, (laughs) don't do it. Don't do it. And then we'll just make campaigns to read banned books. That's how it works. Yes, let's let's read banned and challenged books. Just just do it. Yeah. 
another thing that came up for me when I was thinking about like conflict and what's driving it is men and their obsession with legacies. I put Culebra mm-hmm. on here, but it's not just Culebra, you know, Alfie's dad, Bolivar, is obsessed with his own legacy and Dez's legacy, the not dead brother. <laughs> and then also Alfie's legacy. And it's just kind of like, what if it wasn't about you and your mm-hmm. legacy? What if it's about like literally the entire other world because you're not the center of everything? Exactly. Yeah. Not really the most important thing. Let's focus on the people that you're playing around with their lives. <laughs> Dez's Sombra puppet is back. Game of Thrones rules still stand. If they don't die on screen, they're not dead. And even if they do, they'll come back. When Alfie was like, when he was like going through like his little portal things and was hearing all that screaming, I'm like, bro, it's definitely your, your, your bro. It's your brother. (laughs) I didn't get that. I didn't put that together. I was like, dude, your brother went into a chasm. And now when you're in this like weird, dark inter space you hear a screaming voice that's definitely your brother it's like like, you got to go towards the demons not ignore them sort of thing exactly it's like psych when they're like no body no crime i'm like yeah where's his body we didn't see it like i don't believe he's dead no exactly (laughs) exactly there was this conversation about loans as enslavement which i thought was interesting because in the context of what's happening in the book it's like marsden's in glasses like colonizer white fragility being like you're trying to quote unquote enslave us with a loan which is not even anywhere close to the same thing as like the actual enslavement that like is in the past of this fictional story you know i was like oh but if you connect this to like current world economic policies and stuff financial burden and like putting quote unquote global south countries into debt is just like perpetuating these cycles of dependency and exploitation, you know, between the, it, it just makes this like whole global North, global South thing. Like it just keeps it there, you know, instead of destabilizing it, which is what we really need to do if we need to, cause we need like world change and stuff. And we need to listen to people who are not from where we're from. Um, this made me think of, I'm just going to put a little note in here. There's this cool site. I found it talks about like the actual size of things. Have you seen these? Mm-mm. Where you can like type in the U.S. and it like fits into the western part of like Saharan Africa. Mm-mm. It's just like the continent of Africa is massive, and it just like I don't know, it it realizes how like our the importance symbolically, or I don't know at least for me, you know, you think that like the United States is bigger than it actually is because it's like I don't know overreaching and. Hopefully we see this empire fall, I guess, is the long, long story short. Yeah. Well, I think you can think about it, too, like with the I mean, not with the case for Inglas, because like maybe they need to be on some loan payments or something anyways for being super shitty. But even like when we think about like on a smaller level in the United States, like with payday loans and like the high interest rates that are placed on people who like could really benefit from just getting like help, (laughs) you know, and instead we're like, yes, you can have help, but your interest rate is like 30% or something wild like that. And using um, things like credit scores to decide who gets a loan and at what interest rate. So I think we can see it on like both a macro and a micro level, like how this works. Completely. Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply lose their headphones for five minutes and then have to <laughs> make Jesse wait. 
Anyway, we also don't read fantasy and without talking about representations of race, class, gender, ability, and in this book especially, colonizer bullshit. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. Something I really appreciated about this book is that it kind of touched on respecting other people's cultures while holding them accountable accountable for parts of their culture that oppress others. So like San Cristobal, Castellan is holding um, Inglas accountable for you know the colonizing that they've done and the slavery that they've implemented. They're also respectful about other parts of their culture because that's what we should all be doing, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it's the whole, like, golden rule sort of thing. Like, you treat others how you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, just do that. <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, these oppressors are wanting their, like, 50 years to end enslavement. And then Alfie's like, you're asking for three generations of, of people's lives. Like, no. It's too much. It's too big of an ask. Yeah. And it, like, gets to this bigger question about, like, the gradual change versus the abrupt, you know, sort of thing. Or mm-hmm. who can wait? Who has the luxury of being able to wait for things to change? Yeah. Yeah. Which we kind of see in our politics where people, like, we see, like, this juxtaposition between people who are, like, we'll take it one step at a time. Like, things happen over t- slowly, you know. And then people who are, like, no, we want radical change right now. So, all applicable. <laughs> We also see that reparations play a big role in the story. We see Alfie attempting to make reparations for those who lost loved ones when he accidentally released Sombra's magic. And then those from Castellan expect Inglas to make reparations to the Inglasan people who they've enslaved. And I really appreciated this part of the book because, yes, reparations should happen. It should have happened already. And since it hasn't. We should do it now. (laughs) Yeah. They talk about how it's like a multi-pronged approach. You know, there's education, there's actual like financial remuneration and, you know, there's different aspects of it. Yeah. So let's get on it. (laughs) I said this a little bit in the world building section, but we see more of the delegados who are like members of this bourgeois merchant class and who seem to be like their money gives them access to being in the legislature or something. Right. Yeah. They have some kind of power. Several of them are murdered They're as part of this like triangle ritual thing. At the end, they go into Culebra's factory and we get like a little mini, almost like a Marxist lesson, you know, about like the factory, the, the boss's office is up higher and up the staircase because they can survey all the workers, you know, because they're, you know, trying to keep everyone down. Finn has this sort of class consciousness that just permeates the novel that I really appreciate. Multiple times. I think this might have been Alfie remembering what she was saying. Apparently Finn has said the rich are are born rich and die richer and the rest of us die early. This makes me, I think, really just connects to environmental racism. Things like, you know, marginalized folks are made to live in places that are more dangerous, like with lead or with pollution, other kinds of air pollution and things like that. There's a scholar who talks about this really poignantly and her name is Jasbir Puar and in her book The Right to Maim she like kind of articulates this concept of debility which is like disablement orchestrated by the state right but like on purpose you know to mass groups of people so that just kind of came to mind when I was reading this we also have a lot of comparing skin color to food (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, so I think some of the people frame it in glass are like comparing like Alfie or something to like coffee with milk in it or something silly like they that. They basically called him a cinnamon roll. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then Luca like literally compares the people from Inglas to mayonnaise, and they did not <laughs> appreciate it at all. 
and I forgot to put this in this section and maybe I put it somewhere else. So if I did, I won't bring it up again. <laughs> but at one point, like Alfie is like made to feel bad kind of about like his curly hair um, because like the Inglossen people have like straight blonde hair and Alfie has like curly dark hair and he has like dark skin. So he kind of looks like me. <laughs> and I was just like, I just remember like being a kid and like feeling that way about my curly hair, like really wishing I had straight hair and straightening my hair, like nobody's business. Like it was so bad. It's so bad for my hair. You were an emo. <laughs> <laughs> I was, which required straight hair at the time, but I think probably doesn't now. <laughs> Luckily, no, I don't think so. But anyways, just like kind of how the aesthetics of the colonizer just kind of get like implanted in your brain and how you're expected to like live up to these things and like be pale when they want to be pale and be tan when they want to be tan and it's just like frustrating so I appreciated this aspect of the book we get a lot of um discussion of enslavement in the book which makes sense right because one of the main conflicts is like whether or not the peace summit is going to make Inglas and their magical case cast system something that like I wasn't I don't know, I didn't feel great about was like how they're describing the people who are enslaved as like blank soulless bodies that are obedient and pliable. This is location 6648. I know it's Marsden and it's like, et cetera, et cetera. But, and it's magical, blah, blah. But I think that we need to be really careful about how we fictionalize enslavement because they, you know, people who are experiencing that sort of loss of agency aren't simply empty vessels waiting for orders. Do you know what I mean? And there's a mm -hmm. lot of like, resistance and like vitality going on in the context of their lives I don't know I'm not the person to talk about it no I agree and I think I think we can see this like when we think about things like Japanese incarceration the holocaust slavery those kinds of things where often it's depicted as people like went willingly and did push back against the things that were happening but there was lots of resistance to those things from both inside and outside the group's maybe not so much outside of the groups with Japanese incarceration, um, or at least not that I'm aware of, but there were people who pushed back against those things and who didn't willingly go. And there was a sense of resistance. And of course, some people just kind of, you know, even within those groups don't want to make waves because they're, they're worried about their survival. And for some people, that means you'll just do what you have to do to get through it, you know, flight, fright or what's the last one freeze and you kind of just like it's probably like a more of a freeze mechanism you know there's another one i've heard of that's fawn yeah yeah which we probably like, see within oh, these groups as well Libra. i know <laughs> <laughs> but i do think sometimes like with these depictions of you know incarceration and enslavement and genocide we often are only given depictions of people who go willingly um, as opposed to people who resist it's important to even in our fiction to include resistance as part of the narrative of enslaved incarcerated and genocided people right because we're, we're taking the like mentality then of the colonizer and being like those people who have in, in in glass you know or this magical lower class like has less of an existence because they're not allowed to access magic and i know like that's what it feels like to alfie because he knows that and yes it is like an, an oppressed situation and at the same time like those people do have agency you know what I mean yeah exactly okay I've got a, a litany of things so I'll just throw them out there and see what Jesse thinks 
we kind of mentioned that in glasses are all like you're gonna upend our economy and we're all like yeah that's the literal point an economy based on enslavement is wrong period yeah uh, there's just nothing else to say about it you can't do that (laughs) we really dug into luca's survivor's guilt which i liked seeing this character and him struggling with like why he needs the adrenaline rush when he has to he goes out looking for fights and his whole family died of disease. So it's not just him like being woken up from the poison and mm-hmm. feeling bad about that. Ugh, love Luca as a character. He was really great. We got a lot more of him. I feel like in this book than we did in the last one, which was nice. We also have, it's like the small things that I am starting to notice, like gender parody and guards. Like there's was a person named Maria. Not like we all want to be equal opportunity oppressors, but but she's like protecting the king and queen or whatever so that was like cool you know seeing like women in positions of power about like maintaining collective security which is cool Mm -hmm. there was a lot about like mainly it was finn you know struggling with like the legacy of her abuser we see she has a foil you know in the form of annabel tilia which was kind of like her second in la familia which is like the thief group that she joins and Finn's outburst that was really memorable to me is like about working yourself to the bone for the memory of an abusive monster essentially and it's like how we do internalize these patterns of behavior and like trauma fucking sucks you know yeah another reminder to go to therapy (laughs) (laughs) we gotta work through it it's hard but it's worth it the Inglassen obsession with blood was everywhere like that is i roll some colonizer quantum blood quantum shit like no thank you do you want to be bound by blood i was like well gross no i know i know unless we're about to become vampires you're not taking my blood i'm not drinking your blood only for vampirism (laughs) that's it (laughs) last thing i'll mention is like alfie and has anxiety super relatable so relatable i love you alfie you're doing great buddy (laughs) finally it's time for shipwrecked a segment about sexuality asexuality sex romance and relationships and sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own luca's queer which i didn't remember from the last book so i don't remember like i don't remember if it was mentioned or not I think briefly but we didn't get that much okay and so we get some chapters from his perspective in this book which was pretty cool although i feel like james was like catfishing him or whatever and i was not like really there for that so hopefully luca gets some more good romantic relationship in the next book i mean if that's what he wants if he's just like trying to play games that's if fine he's trying but, to be like, a fuck boy then he's know. doing it yeah <laughs> i mean both parties need to know that but you know <laughs> as long as we're all <laughs> all on board that's fine <laughs> also i should pin an alfie i'm assuming you do too but i feel like i should ask what about you? Yes. <laughs> I'm a fan when like the soft one is like switched like in our hetero cis gender idea of how things are. And that slow burn was so slow and so burny. Yeah. The almost kiss. I was like, you God damn it, you're getting me. <laughs> <laughs> and their magic changing colors, like blending. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so sweet. I personally wish the sex scene weren't fade to black. That's just me. This is just overarching, not about the book, this book in general, but like there's so much violence that we see on the page, especially in YA and very little of like the empowering fun, sexy stuff with two consenting people. 
Yeah. And like I've seen people talk about how like there shouldn't be sex in YA because it's for teenagers. Yes, it is. I know we're talking about books for teenagers. But at the same time, teenagers are having sex. So maybe it's good for them to have like a good depiction of like consenting sexual relationships, you know? Yeah, where it seems like the two people are like care about each other, romantically involved, you know, just like, I don't know. I feel like that is positive representation, you know? Yeah, I agree. And now I can see how, like, eventually this will get to the point where, like, <laughs> YA books are just, like, adult romances and maybe they don't need to be, like, <laughs> that. No, <laughs> but... that's, like, a whole other age group for a reason. <laughs> yeah, and, like, young people can read that stuff. I think I read it when I was that age. I don't think it needs to be, like, in every book or whatever. It shouldn't be the expectation that there will be sex in every YA book. But no. if if teens want that, there should be places for them to get that. <laughs> now we're going to talk about writing style narration characterization plot structure and basically whatever else comes to mind i know i have some random shit uh in kill your darlings i listened to the audiobook and in the audiobook the in glass have english accents which makes me feel like this might be a critique of like english colonization so i'm not really sure what um Castellan is supposed to be because I assume they're not Spanish because they were colonizers as well and otherwise like they need to check their own colonization and what they've done <laughs> but I thought it was interesting that they had English accents <laughs> it's like Spain right after Rome those were like the the old school colonizers you know they were kicking they basically came up with the idea of blood purity and racism essentially yeah it's like English, Spanish, Portugal. That happened in the Iberian Peninsula first, and then it's exported mm-hmm. when they colonize shit elsewhere. So hopefully that wasn't the plan, but, you know, I'm like, what else is close to England? <laughs> you know, not that much. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the Dutch were colonizers, the French. It could be any of those white folks up north. Abuela is old lady goals. I did not trust her for most of the book. Um, because I was like, mm, no, we don't trust, we don't trust magical. She's got an ulterior motive. We don't know what it is. <laughs> yes. But I was really sad when she was murdered and t- turned out to be a good person because I thought she was going to be a bad person, but I still loved her all the same. <laughs> I completely agree. Emeraude, I think her name was Abuela Goals. So good. And I'm practically there with how many teacups I have. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably done a mini rant on this before, but when you have, I just like, I cannot with the palm cutting, like why your forearm, your, I don't know, like literally anywhere else. A leg. Exactly. boob probably wouldn't hurt that much. I don't know how much blood would come out, but like, I don't know, a little chest scratch or something, even on the top of your hand. Like you have to, humans are basically, I just like, you have to use blood. (laughs) I just, I can't. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Okay, that's that's it. <laughs> we kind of talked about this already, but that cliffhanger, Fuck. I was not happy about it. I thought this was a duology, so Same. I wasn't prepared for a cliffhanger. <laughs> no. I remember being like, all right, things are wrapping up. There's 11% left in the book or whatever on my ebook or 13% or something. And then it was like, no, not even close. Yeah, I think I feel like when we read Nocturna, like this was just like there were only two books out and there was like nothing on Goodreads or anywhere about there being a third book. So I just assumed this was duology. So it's not. I'm not upset that there's more, but I'm mad I didn't know about it going in so I could like set my expectations differently, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because I was I also wasn't expecting the cliffhanger. Annoying, but also glad that we get to live in this world for a little bit longer. Yes. (laughs) 
before we end, it's time for real talk. And I think reading this book did shift Jesse's perspective in some way <laughs> because she put something here in the notes. I did. So what I wrote is we can't look to others to fight our inner emotions for us. So this is about Finn thinking about just talking to Alfie about Ignacio. Finn is like, wait, Alfie? Sometimes I get them confused because both of their names are just like gender neutral. (laughs) You get Finn and Alfie confused? Yeah. I think I know... I. Can I describe like a part that this makes me think of and see if that's what you're talking yes, about? I think you know. But okay. <laughs> so like where Finn is talking about how she can't rely on other people to create her self-concept. You know, like Alfie yeah. can't be there to tell her that she's good. and Ignacio can't just be there to tell her that she's bad. Like she's exists separately from either of those inputs. Is that what you mean? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. And I also think I read this book like two weeks ago. And Jesse reads like 14 books a week. I do. I'm making room for other things. And But anyways, yeah, I think Finn was just like dealing a lot with like what other people think about her and like trying to deal with this stuff with Ignacio and her feelings for Alfie. And anyways, it was just a lot. And like, we got to fight this stuff on our own. We can get help from other people, but like... Yeah, we so we have to do the hard work for ourselves. It's so hard, though, Jesse. It's so hard. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Speaking of which, Emeraldi to Finn at one point, location 5941, actually, says, your life is yours now. Go live it. But Finn doesn't even want to. And it's just like trauma really fucks with us. You know, it takes work to get free, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Too much work sometimes. I guess we'll leave ourselves on a little happier note because there were several stories in the book about like the kids who are you know children of oppressors and then grow up to be oppressors don't understand the the case system fully and this was also Alfie this isn't just tomato head (laughs) but like kids can be wise there's a lot to learn I guess from them before they've been beaten down and learn how to question things that should be questioned Mm -hmm. and to just like relate to each other more simply Mm -hmm. that's what I got All right, are we ready for some card questions? Do you have your cards? I do. Sound effects. I do. You say sound effects every time. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. How many should we do? How many should we do? Mm, Two. I don't know how many we normally do. (laughs) I think I just kind of go by feel. We make it up as we go along. Which specific details created the setting for you? The language. I think it's specifically like the people's interactions. Yeah, there's something about the magical system and like the city and the way it's like broken down. Even even in Castellan, they like have this class system based on like where people live. And so like that kind of like sets up the world for me to know like who we're dealing with, what kind of things are going on, like what system of Swiss systems of oppression are in place. So it just like really sets it all up for me. (laughs) hundred percent. At which moment does the major conflict in the book come to an end? I mean, it doesn't. We have a sequel. (laughs) It doesn't. A huge cliffhanger. Which character would you most like to know in real life? I mean, I probably have a crush on Finn, so maybe her. But also Abuela. Seems cool. She probably has some stories. I want to go with Alfie. It's hard because I feel like Finn and Alfie are a combination of who I feel like I am as a person. So I would like to meet them both. But I might go with Alfie just because like, why not? (laughs) (laughs) He could take you magic traveling. Yes, that would be really cool. I like that. 
Thanks for listening to the Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Son of a Trickster by Eden Robinson, picked by our fantastic Patreon patron, Gray. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at the Library Coven. This is the part where I go off script after Jesse just very follows script <laughs> and I tell you to rate, review, subscribe, etc. And tell people about the show so that we can spread the word and more people can see cool book reviews. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on coffee. We super appreciate it. We have books to buy, for example. <laughs> if you support us monthly on Patreon, you can do so for $1 or more a month. And you can also shop at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Stay magical.